Hello, it is Ryan, and we could all use an extra bright spot in our day, couldn't we? Just to make up for things like sitting in traffic, doing the dishes, counting your steps, you know, all the mundane stuff. That is why I'm such a big fan of Chumba Casino. Chumba Casino has all your favorite social casino-style games that you can play for free anytime, anywhere with daily bonuses. That should brighten your day a little. Actually, a lot. So sign up now at ChumbaCasino.com. That's ChumbaCasino.com. No purchase necessary. BGW. Void. We're prohibited by law. See terms and conditions. 18 plus. And here with the release of this memo, we know what his motives are because he's been clear about it. He's telegraphed publicly and he said to a number of aides privately that he wanted this memo released because he sees it as a pretext to move on Rod Rosenstein, potentially to fire him. We don't know if he'll do it or not again, but that's clearly what he hopes to accomplish through doing this. A number of my colleagues are very troubled. I think there will be a backlash against this breach of protocol. Today, the number three Senate Republican called on House Republicans to listen and heed the FBI's warning. What we're seeing is obstruction of justice unfolding in real time right before us. Hello and welcome to Trumpcast. I'm Jacob Weisberg. Joining me in the studio today is Slate's legal correspondent, Dahlia Lithwick. Hi, Dahlia. Hi, Jacob. We've both spent most of the day in a Slate retreat. We can't call it an offsite because it's an onsite, onsite in our Brooklyn office. But we were waiting to get our hot little hands on this Nunes memo. And it came out a little after lunchtime. And what was your first reaction to it? I, I think it was my reaction was the same reaction as most people, which was, really? This what? is This is that's what you it? had? This is the smoking gun that's going to blow the lid off Washington. Like, it was a pretty, even for a disappointing effort, it was a really disappointing, disappointing effort. They could have done much better. So what were they trying to do? This, this, this is Devin Nunes and the Trump-supporting Republicans on the— this House uh, Committee on Intelligence, and they've sort of created what reads like a little Fox News commentary with a little intrigue in it. But what I mean, what would you think they're trying to accomplish with it? I think that we've known all along that the point was to destabilize and discredit the Justice Department, the intelligence services to sort of chip, 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 chip at the institutions that bolstered the Bob Mueller investigation. So they're very careful, and we've seen it all day, to cabin, oh, this has nothing to do with the legitimacy of the Bob Mueller special counsel investigation. But this is this other thing that's really corrupt and corrosive that's also happening under the auspices of the Justice Department and the intelligence services. So it's a little bit of a sleight of hand, Jacob, because the argument is, oh, there's just a few bad apples, you know, who happen to be all Republicans, all at the top levels of justice and of the intelligence services. But it's funny because they're picked off as different somehow from whatever Bob Mueller is doing. I guess the best way to say it is it's a really easy way to triangulate all the attacks on Mueller without directly attacking Mueller by saying corrupt, biased, in the tank, witch hunt, but without talking about Mueller. Right. So this memo is all about things that happened before the election when Bob Mueller had not been appointed and was not on the scene. But the central accusation is that the FBI and the Justice Department, in investigating a couple of people around the Trump campaign, notably Carter Page, for suspected ties to Russia, got these warrants called FISA warrants, and that its efforts in getting those warrants or renewing those warrants were tainted 
by political bias and in particular by the Steele dossier. I mean, that's what it says, right? That's the argument that the Steele dossier was paid for by the Clinton campaign, partly true, paid for by other people before and other people after, but that they subsidized this and that in bringing this to the FISA judge and seeking a FISA warrant, that was not disclosed. And so I think the contention is that... Steele himself was biased. He was in the tank for Hillary. And then uh, the folks who financed him were biased. And the entire thing was so corrupt that the the when they came and sought this FISA warrant, what they were really doing was using something so totally tainted and uh, corrupt that everything that came afterwards was also corrupt. But of course, we know, first of all, that you can get a warrant with biased information. All information is biased by the time you offer it up and seek a warrant. But more pointedly, and this is what's really deeply weird, that doesn't go to the merits of what the claims are. So they're sitting here going through, you know, this was biased and this was tainted, but nowhere do they say the stuff in the dossier isn't true. And so it's kind of a strange, it's trying to do an end run around the discussion on the merits about was there collusion by just saying if Hillary money paid for this, the whole thing has to be corrupt. And that's just a a bit of a stretch. I mean, in billiards, this would be a bank shot off all four cushions because, first of all, this FISA warrant, which is how they get they need to show probable cause to surveil somebody, in this case, Carter Page. They were on to Carter Page starting in 2013, right. and they were renewing this FISA warrant. So the, the very best this memo could do was show that the grounds to renew a warrant they already had was tainted. But they're trying to use that to, well, are they trying to use that to discredit the Mueller investigation, or is there another purpose here? Well, I think that part of the purpose, and they name-check all the people who are corrupt actors, quote, air quote, corrupt actors. So they're name-checking Rod Rosenstein. They're name-checking Sally Yates. They're name-checking, you know, they're very careful to say that all of these players uh, who we have said are corrupt and biased— happen to have all been involved at different layers of seeking uh, the FISA warrant. So it is definitely an attempt to say Rod Rosenstein and signing off on this whole tainted project is himself corrupted. So I think the long game, and we've I think, known this for weeks, was how do we go after Rod Rosenstein with some complaint that has more merit than he's a Democrat from Baltimore, which he is not. So now they they can say, oh, look, you know, this guy was in the tank for Hillary, too. Again, these are all Republicans, they're all people that some of them are put into place by Trump himself. And so it is a very strange thing to turn around and say they're all Democrats that were fighting uh, to destroy Donald Trump's campaign. Uh, and, And the evidence we have is that at some point, and this is an important thing, I think, in order to get these re-upped, these warrants every 90 days, you have to be able to present continuing evidence that you're finding something on the target, that the target that you go to the FISA court and you say, I want the FISA judge to accede to this warrant. You have to be able to continue to show that judge that she has a basis to believe that you're finding credible evidence. So just based on the memo itself, the fact that they say three times a judge signed off on this has to imply 
ally that they were continuing to find on the merits evidence of the exact thing that the FISA warrant is trying to seek. So it's a very strange, it almost implicates itself more than it implicates people accused of wrongdoing here. Well, look, Richard Hofstadter wrote a great book saying that people who see conspiracies create conspiracies. And that seems a lot like what's happening here. There's an imagined conspiracy in envisioned in this Nunes memo, but there's a real conspiracy, which I think is a conspiracy to fire Rod Rosenstein. Yes. I mean, is that the purpose? Is that the, the point here to come up with a pretext for firing this guy who has nominal oversight over Robert Mueller and the investigation? Well, it's not nominal mo- oversight. Right. I mean, to, at this moment, he is the only game in town, right? Sessions is recused. So, so Rod Rosenstein is the only person who not only has a say on whether Mueller's fired, but I, I think Matthew Miller wrote a good piece saying he can slow walk the whole must, uh, Mueller investigation. You can fire Rod Rosenstein, put someone in place. That person doesn't need to fire Mueller. That person can just hamstring what's left of the special counsel investigation. So it is clear. So explain that to me, Dahlia, a little bit, because I don't understand that. I mean, Mueller is a is a tough independent prosecutor, often as an investigation. What could Rod Rosenstein or someone who replaced Rod Rosenstein at tr- Trump's behest do to gum up the works of that investigation? Well, they answer to, at the end of the day, they answer to the attorney general, in this case, the deputy attorney general. And so whoever, no matter how independent the special counsel is, he does answer to Rosenstein or whoever would be inserted in his place. And what that means is that you can narrow, broaden the scope of the investigation, right? One of the things we were afraid of after Ken Starr was that that Ken Starr had way too much power. And so the regulations that were passed afterward really constrained that power so that there would be meaningful oversight from the Justice Department. And that that can, you can, you can uh, decline to authorize all sorts of things. Uh, and you can really, really slow walk this investigation in ways that make it impossible uh, for Mueller to do his job. And so I guess the point in my head when I wrote what I wrote today was that I think that folks who think that we're going to wait, we break the glass when Mueller's fired, miss the fact that this can happen in other ways. It doesn't have to – if you fire Mueller's boss and put in place someone who is willing to go along with what Trump's vision of what goes comes next – you don't have to fire Mueller. And I just think that this massive concentrated focus on does Mueller have a job tomorrow or not misses the point. Because he could lose his his uh, authority in stages. Yes. You said this was a win for Donald Trump, this memo, basically because it lets him create all this confusion, which is the point of the memo, to say – to get people sort of – baffled and to say, well, I don't know, there's that memo, there's something on both sides, and this guy, Rosenstein, he sounds, Rosenstein, Rosenstein, <laughs> he just sounds a little iffy to me, and that basically then Trump can step in and say, all right, Rosenstein's out, um, Rosenstein's out, sorry, that's how you actually pronounce it. But, I mean, how could that, do you think that could actually happen? Could the president order the firing of Rod Rosenstein and, and appoint a successor? Wouldn't that person have to be confirmed by the Senate? How, what, what would be, what would this, what would the next stage in this conspiracy look like? I'm going to answer the question the way I answer all your questions on Trump cast, which is norms. You know, there's no there's nothing that says he can't. Uh, the question is whether the Senate acts as a bulwark, whether the Congress acts as a bulwark. If the Congress wants to 
confirm Scaramucci and say, oh, uh, Robert Mueller, your brief now includes only what is the best ice cream at Baskin Robbins, then I suppose if Congress chooses to let that happen, it will let that happen. So I, there's nothing illegal. It's just super bad. But I think that we live in a world now where it is going to, and I think the interesting question Trump cast assignment desk is we've now seen uh, John McCain come out strongly condemning this. I think watching that fault line that we talk about, you know, where are law and order Republicans in the Senate going to come down on this? We know how the House feels. Done. But are there a handful of Republican senators who look at what just happened in the Intelligence Committee in the House and say, are we willing to consign this whole enterprise to the trash heap. And I think that's going to be the next thing to watch. If John McCain is the only person who condemns this, then I think you have your answer. I mean, we knew the House Republicans are all in Trump's pocket and are basically working, in in Nunes' case, just working with him to create this, this kind of propaganda at sort of any cost. We don't know about the Senate. But I think a lot of people are asking the question, Dahlia Lithwick, tell us, when do we have to take to the streets? <laughs> you know, when is the threat to to the rule of law really at the really at the door? Clearly firing Mueller would would be time to take to the streets. You're saying probably firing Rod Rosens, Rosenstein might be time to take to the streets. But just reading this crazy memo, not quite time to take to the streets yet, right? Well, that's what's so hard. You know, I don't think this is unfolding in any kind of way, if you think about Watergate and the time that you could take to digest and think through and sort of operationalize, how bad is this? This is happening so quickly. And that's in some sense what's so destabilizing. I do think that for whatever reason, Democrats really uh, locked onto this tractor beam of Mueller would be the red line. But I think you're right. The point I made, at least in my piece, is I think there are other red lines. Firing Sessions, so you could put someone else in charge of the investigation, or firing Rosenstein, so you could put someone else in charge, are tantamount to firing Mueller. They are as bad. So we have to be, I think, a little bit more open-minded about what, quote, firing Mueller looks like. And I think that if the question is, and I, I've been asking myself this question uh, at three in the morning for weeks, when is the moment to take to the streets? I think if you look on Twitter today, there are an awful lot of people who are saying when the president is colluding with the House Intelligence Committee to release a memo over the strenuous objections of the Justice Department and the FBI, over the objections of Democrats who say at least tell our side of the story, that looks like a full-scale assault on independent institutions that can't fight back. That that looks like if it's not break the glass, it's at least like knock on it Scratch pretty hard, glass. tap on it. <laughs> well, there, there are two issues you just raised. One is the, the right of response from the other side. And the other is about what the security risk or violation is in releasing this memo. I want to ask you about both of those. First, this memo makes all kinds of crazy allegations about officials at the FBI and the Justice Department. The FBI and Justice Department haven't been able to respond in any way publicly. And the Democrats on the committee, led by Adam Schiff, have been saying vociferously, don't release the memo. But if you do, let us release our memo, giving some explanation for all this. How can the Republicans possibly take the position 
that we have to hear their side but aren't allowed to hear the other side. Yeah, I, I feel like it's the answer to your last question, which is because they can. But because can, we but let can them. they? I mean, the Democrats, is Adam Schiff going to stand for this? Can't he just release his memo on his own authority? We had a great piece this week in Slate um, by Jonathan Zasloff, uh, who wrote the speech and debate clause uh, actually is the pathway for Adam Schiff to just get up and read into the record, just stand there on the He floor. can't be arrested. He nope. can't be prosecuted. No, nope. that's what he's immune. from prosecution, and that's what he should do. And at least the full story will get out. I I, I do think it's worth flagging, Jacob, just because I write about this so much in the context of the courts, that when you are destabilizing and delegitimizing an institution that can't talk back— And that's right. When Trump tweets threats at individual judges or when he says the entire Ninth Circuit is not real judges. Do you notice like the judges never tweet back? They just sit there. And I think that institutions that are predicated on these ideas that independence means the presumption of neutrality, the presumption of bipartisanship, those institutions do not have the ability to respond in kind. And I look at this as very much of a piece with threats against the court as opposed to, say, threats against the media where we all just say, screw you and double down. Institutions that can't do that or like very mildly say, this would be a bad idea, Mr. President, and are ignored, really are in a very strange position right now. And so when the FBI says expressly, this is dangerous. You are, in fact, imperiling, you know, methods and sources, whatever you're doing. And the president goes ahead and does it anyway. I think it's just worth flagging that when he goes after institutions that do not have the capacity to punch back, that's when I think you want to be extra solicitous of those institutions and what they're trying to protect. Do you have any idea what they are trying to protect? I mean, this document was, uh, you know, stamped top secret But then top secret is, of course, crossed out and it's marked unclassified. So they've declassified this. The president has agreed to declassify this. But what is in it that's the security risk? Is it something about the FISA court and how you get a FISA warrant or evidence for this FISA court? I mean, you read it, it, you know, as as we both said, it reads like, uh, you know, Fox News commentary. But I don't quite get what's so sensitive in here. You know, we were trying, uh, Jeremy Stahl and I were trying to pick through this to figure out what is really new. What hasn't been reported as we were writing today? And I think there's at least some of the material around uh, Andrew McCabe and his uh, testimony uh, that might be new. I think some of it's possible. And again, I haven't done the deep dive yet about whether the Bruce Orr stuff, there's some new. Uh, Who's Bruce Orr? Bruce Orr is the then associate deputy attorney general, senior DOJ official uh, who works uh, with Yates and later Rosenstein. And the claim here is that something about his. His wife was compromised. and But I think that there are there may be a handful of moments in here that uh, neither Jeremy nor I were fully read in enough to know what's been reported. But is there like a Valerie Plame kind no, of thing no. where you're naming a classified – someone who's an undercover agent or – I just uh, I just don't quite get it. I guess they can't – they don't want to say what that is. But I don't know what – you know, what are the people in Putin's office saying, ho, 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 it's in the document now. I mean, what did we give away by publishing this? We don't even know. We don't know. And – Part of the the paradox here is that that's what makes this even more meaningless, that without context, and I think this is why the Democrats and Adam Schiff say, please, can we release our stuff? 
because at least then we might have a sense of why uh, there is some danger in here. This seems so Dada uh, to you and me on a first read, but I'm sure that there are a handful of things in here. Uh, and 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 worth saying, perhaps, that, you know, the White House had the option to redact some of this and redacted none of this. I think one of the, the thoughts was, at least when it goes through that level of vetting, uh, whatever might uh, imperil uh, somebody would come out, but nothing came out. And I guess that's a good segue to, I love Don McGahn's letter <laughs> at the top. He's where, the White House counsel who gives this sort of apologia for why they're allowing this to come out at the beginning. It's fantastic, Jacob. It's such a funny thing because he says, well, we checked with the FBI and the Justice Department, both of whom said, don't do it. And we did it. And there doesn't seem to be any reckoning with we did this over their objection or we feel as though, um, you know, this this should be de- declassified because X, Y, Z. It's just this funny. I think I wrote today he puts cover in the word cover letter. Like it's really <laughs> gives force to that. It's it's not at all clear why he decided to override uh, the highest levels of government telling them not to do this. We well, just don't this know. is the same Don McGahn who reportedly threatened to resign over over Trump, Trump wanting to fire Mueller during the summer, you know, he has some loyalty to prove at the moment. I mean, partly this is the issue with with Rod Rosenstein, too, is, you know, you go back and forth. One day you look like a Trump flunky. The next day you show some tiny bit of independence. Um, But if you show any independence, you're through as far as Trump's concerned. So so this leads me to the question I am trying to think through in my own head, Jacob. I'm going to give it to you, which is, does Christopher Wray resign over this, right? I mean, this is, you know, he he said, uh, do not release this. This is Trump's handpicked guy uh, at the FBI. Uh, Stephen Vladek uh, tweeted today, who's a national security uh, scholar. This is such a thin dud of a memo that Ray has no choice but to resign because to fail to resign over this garbage uh, is to bolster the president's claims that there's truth here. And I I keep thinking exactly in line with what you just said, is the higher patriotic good to stay because Anthony Scaramucci is going to be the next head of the FBI? Or is the patriotic thing to walk out and protest and say this is a bunch of junk? And I don't have the answer to that. You know, Dahlia, we've been talking about this on the show since almost the beginning. I mean, I think this is the great moral dilemma around work in the executive branch right now and any kind of service in the Trump administration. Are you enabling Trump or are you protecting the country from Trump? And people who go in intending to protect the country from Trump may end up enabling Trump. And also people who go in as Trump flax and flunkies may end up at some moment showing some kind of courage or spine at some pivotal juncture. But I honestly think these are going to be a lot of individual stories. And we're the same way we're talking about Watergate now and the and the different roles people played in it. I think a long time into the future, we're going to be talking about who was really a secret good guy and who was a bad guy. And, you know, out of my bias is that we'd be worse off if anybody with any decency flees the Trump administration. But I sure wouldn't want to be in that position myself. Well, and then you have, I mean, this is the cherry on top is is Jeff Sessions today <laughs> issuing a statement that 
I think is tantamount to saying, boy, my Justice Department is full of horrible people, but it's still a really good Justice Department. I mean, you're just compromised any way you slice it. And people are being forced to trash and defend institutions that are, you know, the pillars of constitutional democracy. And that's how you protect Trump. I mean, it's just the whole thing is so through the looking glass. They're trying to get the rank and file in these organizations, you know, the FBI, which, by the way, is overwhelming. Republican Republican and conservative and turn them against their honorable leadership. It's it's outrageous. I mean, it is it is just a sort of terrible day in um, it's it's a it's a terrible day in in political leadership. And and certainly at the Justice Department, they're going to look back on this very dark time when they were led by someone like Jeff Sessions. Amen. I hope so. I hope there's still a Justice Department to look back on itself. There'll be a department. The question is whether there will be any justice in it. Yeah. And justice led by. Anthony Scaramucci, who will serve in every cabinet post. You like that. You like that idea. I'm going to run with that. That could happen. (laughs) I've been speaking to Slate's legal correspondent, Dahlia Lithwick. Dahlia, thanks for joining me on the show. Thank you for having me, Jacob. Step into the world of power, loyalty, and luck. I'm going to make him an offer he can't refuse. With family, cannolis, and spins mean everything. Now, you want to get mixed up in the family business. Introducing The Godfather at ChompaCasino.com. Test your luck in the shadowy world of The Godfather slot. Someday, I will call upon you to do a service for me. Play The Godfather now at ChompaCasino.com. Welcome to the family. No purchase necessary. VGW Group. Voidware prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. That's it for today's show. Are you following us on Twitter? We're at RealTrumpCast. Today's show was produced by Jason DeLeon. I'm Jacob Weisberg. Thanks for listening to TrumpCast. It is Ryan here, and I have a question for you. What do you do when you win? Like, are you a fist pumper? A woohooer, a hand clapper, a high fiver. I kind of like the high five, but if you want to hone in on those winning moves, check out Chumba Casino. At chumbacasino.com, choose from hundreds of social casino style games for your chance to redeem serious cash prizes. There are new game releases weekly, plus free daily bonuses. So don't wait. Start having the most fun ever at chumbacasino.com. No purchase necessary. DTW, avoid, we're prohibited by law. See terms and conditions 18 plus.